0: Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Excellent. Well, we we started a new series in the church uh, last weekend, and every Easter, we, we run a short series, and then we follow up the series after the Easter period with uh, just a reflection on um, just the community and the response in the church. And our theme this year is, is love. What is love? You know, what is love? And last week, we started uh, looking at the topic of love. Uh, it's a very misunderstood topic. Some independent research, we discussed that last week, shows that it's a very misunderstood uh, emotion. And so, what is love? You know, where does love fit in your life? How is it fitting? What kind of shape has it got in your life? Uh, Last week, we looked at confronting uh, betrayal because love often brings with it uh, an opposite, if you like. And and in fact, betrayal is something that that destroys love. And uh, and, and actually does more damage than you'd ever imagine. We discussed that last week. And if you'd like to hear that message, you can listen to it on a podcast online. Go to our website or just go to a podcast online. But um, confronting betrayal. This week, selfless sacrifice. It's amazing how important love is. Who would agree with me that love is important? If you agree with me, just if you disagree with me, then we've got an argument. <laughs> uh, everybody wants to really, really be loved. Everyone wants to be loved. They want to love and be loved. Uh, and often damage happens in the area of love because people get damaged and then they respond in different ways. So, selfless sacrifice, very fitting for Easter. Uh, and the whole betrayal conversation that happened through the Easter story is massive. You see, God's love demonstrated at Easter was is is and was his ag- agape love that love that is selfless and sacrifices itself for humanity and and there is an enemy in this world and there is sin in this world some would argue oh I don't sin I just have fun let me tell you you're doing a lot of damage when you just have fun because sin is very selfish, and that's the nature of it sin is living and active let me tell you it's a bit like God's uh, spirit it just not wants to destroy people so anyway let's explore this self a sacrifice we ran a survey and many of you helped to invite people to this service on Sunday by giving them an invitation you may have come because you were given an invitation to come to church but on the back of that invitation was also an opportunity to to uh, respond to a survey and there were just three simple questions we're going to look at the two of the answers this morning but the the first question or one of the key questions was which three words most associate? Are you do you most associate with love? So, if we're talking about love, what three words out of a list of words we gave or other uh, did you most associate with love? And the three words uh, that each one put forward—they were scored, if you like—and and, and i have given you the four highest responses of those those choices. And the highest one by a massive margin is the word trust. Trust is so important to people in terms of authentic love. Trust is is the number one thing. And if you are damaging trust in your relationships with people, you are not demonstrating love. You are are untrustworthy and it will do a lot more in your life than, than just be a response that people have as a theory. It's actually going to damage your ability to love others and others to love you. Trust, it sits in its own category Um, as a a description for love. Um, Family, it was really good. This isn't being filled in by people who come to church regularly, by the way. This is community responding through Marketplace and High Street and other areas. Um, The second most important word in terms of love was family, and is family. And you can see why. If people are being damaged in the area of their family, they don't have much confidence in love. And if they've come through a journey where your family has been really damaged and has been and something go wrong, and there's so many things that can go wrong in families, that actually love gets seriously undermined. You start to not understand the power of love in its authentic definition. And then thirdly, devotion. People associate devotion with love, a commitment, a real commitment. And they want trust to be there so that commitment can be honoured. And they want loyalty. They They want something that's deeper than just and emotion. They want They want someone to stand with them when the tough times come. They want loyalty. That's what they associate with love. Those are the top four. But then below that, the other responses were way lower. The rest were all under 20%, le- less than half in some cases of the top two. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the, uh, the word passion, which you are so often convinced by the media is so important in love, it's actually only a a 17% response from those who took this survey. It's not as important as you might imagine. I'm not saying it's not important, but it's certainly not up at the top. Look at that, attraction, (laughs) 4%. There's hope for some of us, (laughs) right? (laughs) But it's interesting. It just shows you, you love somebody, they respond to who you are, you know, looks fade, don't they? And what is attraction anyway? You know, I think trust is attractive. I think family is attractive. I think devotion is very attractive. These things are attractive. It's not just whether you look good. You know, the, tr- the world is trying to convince men to wear makeup just to be more attractive to who? Uh, I'm not sure. But anyway, but um, but anyway, but look at that attraction, 4%. There's a whole generation in this world that are getting convinced by the wrong stuff, let me tell you. You see, uh, and look at that, gifts. Doesn't the, um, the online advertisers and the TV commercials, they convince us we've got to buy stuff for people. We're convinced we've got to buy. The truth is people are not as inspired by gifts as you might think in the area of love. In our survey, 1% thought it was, thought it was one of the top three questions. You see, there's a reason why we're getting responses like this, which might be countercultural. The reason they're different is because we're made in God's image. And the world doesn't like to acknowledge that. It likes to pretend we're something else. The truth is every human being has been made in God's image. And we're designed for the stuff that God values. Trust, family, devotion, loyalty. The other stuff is not as high in that dynamic. And that's because we're made in God's image. We're made to, to love in a certain way. Now, what damages love? The cause of the greatest damage to love... And now in this case, we didn't ask for three words, we asked for one word. So different. this is more more or less direct percentages from those who responded. So one word, what damages love the most? Now I hadn't seen these results before we had last Sunday's message. But isn't it incredible that when God came to demonstrate his love to the whole world by giving us his son, and Jesus himself demonstrated his love for the world, the biggest opposition he faced was betrayal. And it's the biggest single thing that community will tell you will damage love. Betrayal. And when people are betrayed, they find it very difficult to love themselves or other people. Uh, and it works in all sorts of different dynamics. And we discussed that in much more detail last week. So, so please feel free to go and look at it. But look, selfishness came in at number two. Selfishness. And what are we dealing with on Easter Sunday? We're reflecting on selfless sacrifice. And God himself just wanted to demonstrate to mankind how unselfish he was and how unselfish he is. Insecurity damages love, and of course, abuse is rife in community at all sorts of levels, damages love. Only 2% said that they'd never experienced true love, which is remarkable given the damage. Perhaps people are just learning about it, I'm not sure, but it's good that people are identifying that they understand love certainly at an emotional level. But we're going to explore this topic of selfless sacrifice and we're going to use um, our understanding and knowledge of the Easter story to show and to look at how uh, Jesus Christ himself demonstrated selfless sacrifice because he came that we might understand this. But before we do, let's just understand what we mean by selfishness. What is selfishness? Um, uh, Selfishness is to prefer ourselves, so selflessness... By implication is to prefer others. And if you are a selfish person, then you'll find you don't get very many friends. You might find yourself connecting to other selfish people because like attracts like. We know that. But true selflessness prefers others. It's a preference. My preference is uh, others. Another aspect of selflessness is having little or no concern for myself especially regarding my fame, my position, my wealth, preferring others and having little or no concern, that's difficult because society will tell you you've got to succeed. You've got to be number one. You must. And if you don't, by the way, you're a failure. <laughs> there's, no, there's no half measures. You know, If you're not the winner, you're the loser. That's what society tells you. And the world is full of losers by definition, because because the world is selfish. Now, some will say there's no such thing as sin. (laughs) Oh, yes, there is. Because how many people do you know who are selfish? When it comes down to it, they don't really care about others. They care far more for themselves. They care much more about their fame. They care much more about their title and their position. And they care much more about their money than you. Selfishness is rife in our world. What is sacrifice? Well, there's a couple of definitions here. It's the giving up of something that you value for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. So you're giving up what you value so that something else or somebody else can benefit from what you've given up. Equally, sacrifice can be defined in a religious sense as physical sacrifice. You know, when you slaughter an animal or a person sacrifices their life for a noble cause or you sacrifice an object, or you give up what is of high value to you, uh, and you offer that sacrifice up to God, a deity. It's not a person, it's it's to, to God. And how many people are willing to give up for God? When it comes down to it, people are selfish, and they're not willing to sacrifice. People just are not wired that way. That's sin that makes people do that. That's what we're talking about. Sin is what causes us to be selfish, and not to sacrifice for other people. Or we sacrifice because we've got an agenda. We get something out of it. You know, challenging. But what does the Bible say? Well, let's go back to Philippians. It's actually in the New Testament, uh, chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. We have a description of who Jesus is and, and his willingness to be selfless right from the beginning of the idea of giving his life for us. You must have the same attitude that Christ had Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to or to be grasped. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Jesus saw that sacrifice was going to cost something. Sacrifice always costs something. It always costs. If it doesn't cost, it's not a sacrifice. It's just a gesture. Do you realise? It's just a gesture. If we come to church and we, we give a bit here and there, we're just giving gestures. Is it really sacrifice? No, not often. Sometimes the things we think of as sacrifice really aren't sacrifice. They're just gestures. And that's because we compare ourselves with our peers. And we justify ourselves by our peers. And the people who live in your street or in the flat next to you Or the people who are in your workplace, they have a certain level of self-interest. And and they are demonstrating a level of selfishness. And and you think, well, I'm I'm not as bad as them. That means I must be good. (laughs) I must be good because I'm not as bad as that person. That's the wrong measure of selflessness. It's the wrong measure of sacrifice. If we compare ourselves to another human being that we happen to live in the same social circle as, you'll never understand the level of commitment that God has made to humanity because his commitment to us is absolute selflessness and absolute sacrifice. Whatever the cost, he was willing to pay it for the sake of showing his love to us. That's his agape love. Martin Luther King uh, made this statement, Human progress is never automatic nor inevitable. Every step towards the goal of justice requires sacrifice, suffering, and struggle. The tireless exertions and passionate concern of dedicated individuals. In other words, you don't just do the right thing because you just happen to exist. You've got to work at it. You've got to make a decision. You've got to be willing to change the default. You've got to change what you see. If you don't take on the responsibility of owning the change, it isn't going to change. It's a choice. The choice for change is in our hands. It's our choice. It's never automatic. It's never inevitable. We have got to own it. Every step towards the goal of justice requires sacrifice, suffering, and struggle. And Jesus is the God who wants justice. He's the God who wants truth. He's the God who brings hope. And he dedicated himself as an individual in Jesus Christ. So exploring the scriptural narrative, we're going to go back to Good Friday. I know it's Easter Sunday. Today is the Resurrection Sunday. But let's just ground ourselves in what took place. That selfless sacrifice of Christ. Matthew 27, 35 to 37. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Jesus was subject to a completely Roman crucifixion. The Jews didn't like the fact that he had, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews, hung above him. They didn't want that to be the statement. But the Roman law dictated what they would dictate, and they made that decision. You see, Jesus confronted betrayal during the week leading up to Good Friday. He confronted it, and as a sheep is silent before his shearers, he endured what he was going to endure. We read in Isaiah 53, 3 to 9, the truth of what Jesus was about to do and was already doing as we pick up the story. 700 years before he did it, the prophet isaiah said it was going to happen god had always god had always planned to give himself for you and for me he had always planned it it wasn't a let's figure out what might work now god had set up the plan so that he could demonstrate his love to you and to me He'd set it up. He'd set it up not only to demonstrate his love, but to remove sin, the selfishness, the self-centeredness that is in the world. And sin is a lot more than that, but it's set in pride. It's set in, I'm more important than somebody else. So Jesus is confronting society and society didn't like it. Society wanted to destroy what he represented. And that's how this happened. That's the work of sin. See, sin always wants to destroy people. Sin doesn't want to let you have a good life. Sin doesn't care about your life. Sin wants to kill you. Sin wants to to destroy you and watch as you go down in flames. Literally, that's what sin wants to do. Sin has no agenda to give you a life full of love and enjoyment and and security and and hope. Sin doesn't want to do that. Sin's an active working force of evil against humanity. And Jesus knew it. And that's why he allowed himself to go to the cross. Selfless sacrifice abandoned in death. Matthew 27, verse 45. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Eli. Lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. The agony was not just physical, though the physical agony was enormous. There's the whole dignity of Jesus Christ that was removed. The soldiers cast lots for his clothing, including his undergarments. Jesus Christ went to the cross naked, naked. Unlike every oil painting you'll ever see of Jesus, there was nothing covering him. He was naked, and he was put on public display. And he was brutally damaged and injured physically as he went to the cross. And we know the story, we know the history, but we've got to remind ourselves of of what happened. Because Jesus knew that his selfless sacrifice was going to require everything. Not just a token, not just a gesture, not just uh, an, an element of something to do with God. It was complete selfless sacrifice. So he gave up his dignity for our decision making. He gave himself physically for us. He was crushed under his own body weight, hanging with nailed hands and feet. And of course, the emotional separation from his father. The absolute separation of Jesus Christ from all of humanity and his father was unbelievable. That selfless sacrifice led him to be in a place. Of, and what was happening now at this point? The sin of the world was being piled onto this sinless sacrifice who not only sacrificed himself but was our spiritual sacrifice that Passover lamb that the 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 Jewish people were celebrating the day before. well actually during that period of time Jesus was actually that Passover lamb he gave his life willingly for us and then he cried out in a loud voice you see he'd been quiet and silent knowing what had to happen But when it came to the time of, it is now done, he cried out with everything in him, raised himself up full lungs and shouted out, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. The grip of death on people, the power of sin on people has no longer got the ability to hold people for eternity. At that point, Jesus knew, I've done it. I've done what was needed that nobody else could do. Even he didn't want to do it. You know that. In his humanity as God, even though he knew he had to, he knew it was his choice. He knew it was his Father's will that he did it. He still didn't want to do it, but he did do it. Three times as he was in Gethsemane, Take away this cup of suffering. We studied it in the staff meeting this week. And Jesus shouted again and he released his spirit. And at what point? Now we see the power transactions happening in the physical world. The earth shook. An earthquake came. The, the sky went black. Um, the rocks cracked open. Tombs opened. And the dead started walking out of their graves. None of them could save you and me, only Jesus Christ. But you see, there was this divine exchange was going on and the power of God was hitting our created world with everything in it. And Jesus Christ was right at the epicenter of God's plan for humanity. And Jesus shouted out again twice then and he released his spirit. So here's a question. How could I become more selfless? How could I I respond to that kind of selflessness? Um, How could I choose to prefer others? What would it take for me to prefer somebody else? What would it take? Do I prefer others or do I actually prefer myself? How could I begin to show a desire to prefer others? How could I do what Jesus did? How could I carry that into my own life? Could I choose to be selfless by honoring others somehow? How could I honor somebody else? Do I dishonor others when I criticize them behind their back and talk about them to other people? Yeah, I do. Do I honor others when I, behind their back, build them up? Celebrate what they do that's good. Do I celebrate with them? What do I do? How could I honor others? How could I prefer others? How could I do something that builds people up? How could I choose not to demand my own way? Jesus didn't demand his own way. He went selflessly to do what he knew he had to do. And so many of us demand our own way. If I don't get this, that's it, I'm out of here. If I don't get that, that's enough for me, I'm done. If I don't, they don't love me anymore (laughs) because I don't get what I want. That's where it is all rooted. Our demand to have our own way. How could I become more selfless? By figuring out how to change in the area of being selfish. What could I sacrifice? What possessions do I love the most? Is it my golf clubs? Is it a a particular treasure that I've collected over the years? Is it my bank account? Ultimately, our possessions will possess us. You know that. What is it I treasure the most? Is it my qualifications? Is it my what I've become? Are they the things, oh, I couldn't possibly do that because that would make me look bad in the eyes of other people? What could I sacrifice? What do I really do with my time? What do I do with my time? Does any of the use of my time show my willingness to sacrifice my life for Jesus Christ? Do I sacrifice anything in my life? for Jesus Christ? Or am I a tokenist? Do I give token appreciation to certain things and respond in a token way just to kind of keep in there? What am I doing with my life? Does my life reflect the love of Jesus Christ, the selfless sacrifice? Does it? These are hard questions, aren't they? But if we can't ask ourselves the hard questions on Easter Sunday, when can we ask the hard questions? Because he gave his life for us. Selfless sacrifice, he was buried without a ceremony. Matthew 27, 57 to 60. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus. In fact, it says in John 19, he was a secret disciple. I can't, there's something about these texts I've been chewing over, and I'm not sure I've got there yet. But Joseph of Arimathea was a secret follower of Jesus Christ. Um Verse 58, he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. We're skipping a few words and then. 59, Jesus took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth, of clean linen cloth. Verse 60, he placed it in his own tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. But it's interesting, in John 19, we we read that uh, Joseph and Nicodemus together looked after Jesus' body. Do you know what? Had happened at the same time, everybody else in his life did a runner. They just disappeared, they dissolved out of the equation. The people he 'd given so much to just dissolved away. they just couldn 't cope with the whole situation. The whole thing was overwhelmed. Maybe they were just terrified of what could happen. But what I really love about this little story and you may never even heard this drawn out of the Easter message but Joseph, who was a secret Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy but secret disciple. He was a man of good standing in his community. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee with the Sanhedrin. They had a lot to lose by being identified with Christ. And they would kind of kept their faith. Do you remember John chapter 3? When the man went at night to ask Jesus about what salvation was all about. And he said to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, I know that you have come from God. When When Nicodemus went to Jesus... And we read about in John 3, something happened. And he went from being someone who understood that Jesus had come from God as a teacher to realizing that Jesus was actually the Messiah, God, Lord, and Savior. And this account in scripture shows us that these two men decided that's it. I'm not hiding anymore. I'm not keeping it under wraps. I'm coming out as a follower of Christ. I'm going to do the right thing. So while others ran away, they went and took his body and in the simplest of ways prepared him for burial and rolled that stone away. Meanwhile, the two Marys, Martha and uh, and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, they watched because, of course, they're drawn emotionally to the whole thing. But everyone's frightened. No one knows what to do. And they're watching across as the tomb is closed. The closest friends are watching to see what will happen next. Selfless sacrifice. Now, this is where it gets exciting. Luke 24, 5 and 6. As they stood there puzzled, this is the two Marys. So let me just tell you what's happened. Early on the Sunday morning, you know they're in this turmoil of what has just happened. But on Sunday morning early, the two Marys, who'd watched the stone be rolled in front of the tomb, decided to take... Stuff to anoint Jesus' body with. How they thought they were going to get in, I don't know. Mm. But they turned up. I guess it's just that emotional need to to do something. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you know this story of Jesus Christ is true, but you've never really done anything about it. You've You've kept it kind of in its box. You've kept it as knowledge. You've kept it at arm's length. You've kept it there because you don't know what to do with it. But the two Marys... They decided early Sunday morning they would go to the tomb and they saw the tomb was open and they walked in. And now they're looking for the body and they can't find it. And they're like staggered. There's no body. There's no body in this empty tomb. At which point, as they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to angels clothed in dazzling robes. Verse 5, the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive he isn't here he is risen from the dead should we say hallelujah (laughs) hallelujah he's risen from the dead he'd been telling them that after three days he would be risen from the dead but they just couldn't get it into them and now it's happened and the angels And there's multiple accounts of what happened at the tomb but he's not here He's risen from the dead. And of course, you know, as the story goes on, he reveals himself. He's seen by many dozens and dozens of people, but he's risen from the dead. He's risen. He's not in the tomb. And suddenly their world changes. Their world has become changed and they somehow never grasped it. I love this expression. The first Adam was naked but sinned, so had to be clothed. The last Adam was clothed, but to redeem was stripped naked. The first brought death at the tree of life. The last brought life at the tree of death. Hallelujah. It's, a, it's an incredible, marvelous, wonderful story of selfless sacrifice. The truth is, if we are not prepared to selflessly sacrifice in our own lives, the power and the glory of God probably will never be visible in your life. That's the reality of it. It's attached to our love of God that we, we, that we become willing to selflessly sacrifice for our faith. We become willing to respond to the love of God by exercising our faith. Our selfless sacrifice is, that's me, what he has done for the world he has done for me, and I am going to let the world see what he has done for me and in me. The power of God to bring love to community, the power of God to transform our understanding of love, comes through selfless sacrifice, modelled by Jesus himself, but revealed in our lives. And we become the visible image ourselves of the invisible God. Isn't that incredible that Jesus would allow us, his church, his people, to carry his identity? So selfless sacrifice is beautifully summed up by the Apostle Paul in Romans 3. Our opportunity. It says here that for everyone has sinned. We've already agreed the world is full of selfishness and nobody's willing to sacrifice if they can get away with not doing so. For everyone has sinned, we've all fallen short of God's, God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. In his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus Sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The power of selfless sacrifice. We just have to believe it. And all that stuff that counts against us that is sin, God says, I'm wiping that away. You become clean. You become clean. There's nothing anymore that can separate you from me. Because I've seen what Jesus did on your behalf. And we start to discover the truth of his love. Band, I need you to join me now. We start to understand what this was all about. And today, whether we've been living a selfish life or a generous life, there's more we can do. Our call is to live a selfless, sacrificial life. But maybe you don't know Christ today. Maybe you've just kept him a little bit at arm's length. Maybe you haven't been certain and fully understand that. Maybe you don't have all the answers, but you don't need all the answers to respond to his call. You just need to have a heart that's willing to give up from ourselves and say, I believe that Jesus did that for me. And if he did it for me, I will choose to respond. Amen. So let's stand now. I'm going to pray quickly and then we go straight into a song. We're going to have communion this morning. We're going to go through this first song and communion will be afterwards. So let's just stand. Lord God, thank you, Lord, as we've reflected on your selfless sacrifice this morning. That God, every one of us can do something about this. And whatever that response needs to be today, Lord, whether it's to respond by choosing to come to you and surrender our lives to you, or whether it's to to grow in what it means to be selfless and to, to grow and understand what it means to be sacrificial. Lord, help us to understand these things today on Easter Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen.